This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to Line Dance Podcast with Megan Barsulli and myself, Christopher Gonzalez. What is your name? I'm J.P. Potter. And what is your primary role in the line dance community? Uh, I function as a DJ in the main ballrooms, uh, sometimes secondary DJ in main room or in the uh, workshop uh, slash beginner all request rooms. Hmm. It's not often that we get to talk with a DJ, especially one with as much experience as yourself. How did you get into the DJ life? Well, it just kind of happened. I was dancing when I was a kid. I started about 10 years old. And we used to dance at a Black Angus. One night, the, uh, the DJ, it was her birthday, and somebody thought it would be funny to, you know, throw a bunch of cake in her face and make a big old mess. So she needed to go clean up, and I happened to be standing there, and she's like, can you just, just push play on this button for, you know, and then if you need something else, just, just load up the next thing. You know, this was still CD players, and um, so I did that, and I went, this is kind of fun. So at that point, I was probably about 13. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I really kind of like this. And then I started pursuing it more, started uh, working with different DJs at the different places I would dance. And by the time I was 17, I was DJing my first event. And this was line dance specific? Mm-hmm. Correct. Oh, wow. Well, in the, uh, in the venues like the Black Angus or different uh, bars, um, because, yes, I was actually DJing in the bars before I was able to drink in the bars. Hmm. Um, it, it was line and couples. It was your normal, like, go out, you know, what you would see when you go out for a night at one of your local bars. It's, you know, you play some two-steps, you play some line dance, you play some cha-chas. Hmm. Hmm. Do you still dance at events while you're DJing? On occasion. Um I haven't learned any new dances recently. Uh, I'd rather focus on DJing. Right. But when I'm not working, uh, if Louis taking over or one of the other DJs, something older comes on that I know I do enjoy going out and dancing that or the occasional West Coast swing. You mentioned Louis. Oh. There are numerous DJs in the line dance world, and you each have your own style. What would you say characterizes your style compared to others? Wow. That's tough. Um, Because we all have a different way of reading the room. We all have a different way of taking a request list and determining, okay, what's going to, what do I think is best for the room? Um, You know, some, some DJs, you know, like to like this particular style of music versus this other style. So what they tend to play will be more of this type of rhythm where, you know, if I like more of a, a funky West Coast rhythm, that'll be more what I play. And you notice that not just in line dance, but also throughout couples and um, all other types of DJing. You'll tend to, if you notice, you'll find the DJs have a certain repertoire, a certain style they like, and it's just, that's what they'll tend to gravitate towards. So for me, you know, when I'm DJing, I I like to watch the entire room, kind of watch, you know, who's sitting, who isn't, and then decide, okay, this group has been down for a while. Let me take a look at the list, the request list. I say, oh, you know what? I think this group might do this dance because five songs ago, they danced this other dance and they're very similar. Mm. Same type of rhythm, same level, same, you know, just very similar dances. Hmm. And I feel like I've gone off on a tangent, but yes. No, no, please. <laughs> no, that's actually what I was going to ask next, because a lot of people would think that DJing is just push-play, push-stop, we'll right. whatever's on the request list, chronologically written by whomever. No, no, oh. not at all. Um, and in fact, it, it breaks down to even more of that. Like, the request list, in a lot of ways, I think would be better called a suggestion list. Mm. Um, because you can have a lot of the events now have an all request room where the purpose of that room is you can go in and no matter what you want it gets played when you have your main ballroom the DJ's job is to create a party build an energy and even if you're just sitting you're still having a good time because of what's happening in the room Mm. 
where if I went straight off a request list, that doesn't necessarily happen. Mm. So I sit there, I do this, and I know other DJs do as well. We'll look at the request list and we use it as a guideline. We say, yes, this, this dance will do well for the energy I'm trying to build in my room right now. Um, if we look at it and say, no, I don't think this dance is a good fit for what I have going on, we skip over it and keep moving. So it's, it's about finding a balance between taking the request list or the dances people suggest we play, combining that with the dances we think are going to help build an energy and a fun atmosphere for mm. everybody around. Because you can sit in the DJ booth or in the room and you can notice, even if somebody's sitting, whether or not they're having fun. Mm. If they're enjoying themselves, they'll be laughing, talking, their foot will be tapping. If they're not enjoying themselves, they'll be sitting usually leaned back in the chair, arms crossed, you know, very kind of mean look on their face. Little body language symbols like that that will let you know whether or not everybody's having a good time. So even if we're trying to get people up on the floor, I'll still look at the people sitting to determine, you know what, they're still enjoying themselves. Maybe they just are tired. But they want to watch. They want to watch Rachel dance, or they want to watch Maddie dance, or you know they're enjoying the, you know, watching Scott and um, John play around on the floor, or you know Jamie with her antics. So it's 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 a balance of everything that you have to look for when you're when you're sitting behind the booth. How do you keep the instructors in the room? Um, it depends. Sometimes I will. You know, I always watch to try to see which instructors are coming into the room. And most of them, actually, once they get into the ballroom, will make a pass by the DJ booth to let me know, Louie, Jill, whoever, whoever is DJing, say, hey, I'm in the room. So once they're in the room, now I know I can start playing some of their dances, whether it's something they taught that weekend, whether it's, you know, something older of theirs, but people still enjoy doing it. I start mixing those in. And so every... Four or five songs, I'll put on, you know, a Scott dance. And then a few songs later, I'll put on a John dance. And a few songs later, I'll put on, you know, a Rachel dance, a Will dance. And you just, you start mixing in their dances in with the requests. And that keeps them entertained and interacting. Um, sometimes, if that's not working, I'll send them a text and say, hey, where are you? Come down here and dance. <laughs> No, but I mean, it's, you know, it's just, it, that's how you do it. You just, you have to interact with your instructors. Um, they, you know, them letting the DJs know, hey, we're in the room, we're ready to dance, is our symbol to say, or our sign that we can start playing their dances. People don't come to an event to dance, you know, uh, Pink Champagne. They come to the event to dance Pink Champagne with Rachel. Mm-hmm. So to play it without knowing the choreographers in the room kind of defeats the purpose. So we have to watch that as well. We have to make sure, okay, Rachel's in the room, Will's in the room, Amy Glass is in the room, and then start playing their dances. Mm. And that's playing their dances, playing stuff, not even necessarily their dances, but for most of the choreographers and instructors, I at least know some of their favorite dances that are not theirs. Hmm. So I can still keep them on the floor even if I don't have something of theirs that I can play at that moment. Hmm. What makes for the sort of choreographer or instructor that people do care about doing the dance with? Because some people just choreograph but then they keep to themselves. They don't interact. They don't socialize. And other folks, you have a blast just standing within like a radius of two or three people of them because they have this energy. Uh, what is it about uh, an instructor that draws that kind of gathering? Hmm. I think, honestly, that just comes down to individual personality. Um, some people have a very outgoing personality mm -hmm. that they carry an aura around them, and some people don't. It's, you know, it's, it's true not just in dance, but in everything. But I think, regardless, some of my favorite choreographers and, and instructors are very quiet people, mm -hmm. and the dancers still love dancing with them. I don't think it really really affects it too much um, but you do know like there are certain people that you know if I put on this dance they're going to carry a lot more energy onto the floor whether when it comes down to the attendees though they just they enjoy dancing the choreographers 
dance with them. They, mm -hmm. they want to be able to dance it next to them. They want to be able to watch them dance it. Because when it comes down to it, you're going to learn from watching them dance it little nuances, little things that maybe they didn't teach in the class or, you know, when we took this dance from Trevor, he, he taught it as um, a coaster step, but dancing next to him, he, he does it more like this, and that looks really cool. I like that. And so you start picking up on those little things. And I think that's, you know, the main reason people want to dance with choreographers. Mm -hmm. Some choreographers have dances that are old, but are not considered classics. How many dances, or like how many events, and how many attempted teaches of it does it take before you know, oh, yeah, this one just didn't make it? For me, it doesn't have anything to do with how many attempted teaches or anything like that. It has to do with standing the test of time. Mm. So, Have Fun Go Mad is a, is a great example. Dance was released in the 90s, I think 98. Um, and I could be wrong on that, sorry Scott. Mm. Um, but it is, it's an older dance. It got taught, it was very popular when it was first released. And then like with most dances, it kind of phased out a little bit. Um, Louis, who is a master at finding music for keeping things alive, found a new piece of music to dance Have Fun Go Mad to, started using that, and the dance revived itself. People remembered it, they enjoyed doing it, and they wanted to do it again. And again, because Louis is phenomenal at what he does, he found a new track that people enjoyed dancing it to just as much, and it breathed a new life into the dance. Um, Poetry in Motion, another great example. It was big when it was first choreographed and released. Kind of fell off for a while. And then it's one of those things where me, Louie, whoever's DJing, we'll be at an event and we'll go, you know, this used to be a great dance. Let's try playing it and see what happens. Let's see who remembers it. And if people come out and they still remember it and they enjoy doing it, to me, that's usually what dictates a classic. You know, it doesn't matter if the dance was taught once somewhere or taught a hundred times. It's a matter of do people still do, enjoy doing it on the floor. Mm. What traits of a song or a dance tend to have that effect? I've noticed that Have Fun Go Mad has not been borrowed a lot from as far as steps. Same with Poetry in Motion, same with The Beast. There are things that happen in those dances that you just don't see other people try to steal. They kind of stay in those dances. What other aspects uh, make for a unique physical dance experience that, uh, that lasts? And what is it about the music? Like Dizzy, which doesn't really feel dated to me at all. No. Um, well, and Dizzy is another good example of what I would consider a classic. Mm -hmm. The music, you can change up the music to Dizzy. You don't have to use the choreographed piece of music. You can go to uh, different bars, nightclubs, local classes, and it's one that everywhere has their favorite song to dance it to, which, coming back, is one of the other things that helps keep a dance alive, is being able to change up the music. Mm. Uh, to come back to the initial question, though, of... Refresh my memory. <laughs> uh, what is it about the physical experience of a set of steps that makes people want to do those and not just borrow them for their own choreographed dances? They feel good. Hmm. Um, you, can take, you can take a couple of great dances that people enjoy doing, take eight counts from dance A, take eight counts from dance B, and try to combine them into dance C and it doesn't work but dance A on its own with all of the other steps involved and dance B on its own are phenomenal mm. it's about choreographing the entire piece to work together as one unit not um, taking some great little steps or sections and putting them together mm. you have to look at the big picture mm -hmm. what sorts of songs do DJs like to play like what what music do you enjoy listening to, to that uh, you hope people choreograph dances to? And what sort of aspects of music do you just never want to hear after a few seconds of listening? 
Well, I can tell you right off the bat, after an event is over, mm-hmm. um, I don't listen to music for at least a day. I just don't want, I want to give my ears a rest. I'm tired of the noise. I'm tired. I just, I want to break from music. So I don't, I don't listen to music. I don't watch TV. I'm perfectly content when I'm leaving an event, sitting in my truck, driving with absolutely nothing but wind noise. Hmm. It's relaxing. It's calming. But as far as in general life, um, I tend to gravitate more towards 90s uh, rock, 90s alt rock, carrying into the 2000s. But typically, I, I would always go more rock which doesn't carry over into line dance that much. Um, I do love uh, funky, hip-hop, pop-type music as well, and that does carry over. But after a while, especially when there's a popular song on the radio, and then it becomes a popular dance song as well, I get real tired of it real quick, because you hear it on the radio, you hear it at dance events, and then because it's also popular on the radio, when I'm DJing weddings and corporate parties, they want to hear it too. So I hear the same song every weekend for months straight. And it's just, you know, it gets tiring after a while. So musically, for my personal choice, I like to vary it. I always, like I said, tend to go back to more of a rock style or a pop style, but I, I try to find uniqueness. I'll go back, you know, into 80s and listen to 80s pop for a while. Or even go online and try to find something foreign from, you know, Australia, Sweden, something different that I don't hear here. Do you suggest music for choreographers when you hear a new track and you would like to hear more of it? On occasion. And it's not so much whether or not I like it. Mm. It's a matter of when I hear the track, can I see somebody choreographing to it? Mm-hmm. There's, there's some music that screams certain choreographers. And you see that in their choreography style, in the music they pick to choreograph to. So if I hear something and I go, wow, this is, I can see, I can see Rachel choreographing to this, or this has a really, really, really big Scott uh, Blevins vibe, then I'll forward it on to them. And then from that point, it's their choice whether they want to look into it or not. How does a choreographer develop that sort of hazy style without also becoming typecast or boxed into it and also staying original within that style? I think a lot of it has to do well as far as not being typecast you can have you can have a style and you can release you know let's say slower smooth is more your your preference so you can release a nightclub followed by a waltz followed by another nightclub. Now, you have to physically tell yourself as a choreographer, you know what, I've, I've had three dances that are all within that same smooth, slower rhythm, so let's go ahead and find something different. And you have to push yourself outside that box, release something that's, that's different from your normal. Then you can kind of go back to your comfort zone a little bit, go back to you know, something a little more smooth that you're comfortable with and more familiar with, and so you have to you just you have to on occasion push out of that, and I think that's how you would keep from being typecast as uh, you know I only choreograph this rhythm. What are the different rhythms as you would describe them? Because I I know that it's not easy for me as somebody with little ballroom experience to quickly identify one two three and four or one two three four and five as blah. What what are the the main ones that you hear a lot of? In line dance, your main rhythms would be West Coast Swing, East Coast Swing, Rise and Fall, which is Waltz, mm-hmm. um, Cha Cha, and even break that down, there's still essentially two types of Cha Cha in line dance. Mm. Uh, you have one and two versus eight and one. Mm-hmm. Eight and one is, is true Latin Cuban motion Cha. Mm. Um, if you could take us through a couple eight counts, what would the, where would the ands be? In a cha, it would be one, two, three, four, and five, six, seven, eight, and one, two, three, four, and five. Oh, six, like hideaway cha. Exactly. Nice. Okay. Um, so you have your West Coast, your waltz, your chas, a little bit of East Coast swing. It used to be a lot more popular than it is now. 
Um, there's there's line dances with two-step rhythms. It's, the best way to learn your rhythms is to actually go in and start taking some couples classes. And will they say this is like one, two, three, and four? Yes, because when you sign up for a class, you sign up for a class on West Coast Swing. Mm. And so then you learn the rhythm of West Coast Swing because you're learning how to dance West Coast Swing. Right. You know, Even though a lot of our line dances are truly based off of the actual rhythm, it's still hard, I find, for a lot of line dancers to sit back and go, oh yes, this piece of music is this rhythm. Like myself. Even though they know it, they, can, they know the footwork of a line dance that is technically correct as a cha. They haven't learned how to hear it yet. Mm. And it's just, it's something that takes time. It took me the longest time. And there's still rhythms that I can't, I can hear it, but it's extremely hard for me. Mm. And then I usually end up getting a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Are there any that are sort of like borderline, like neighboring rhythms that could go either way? Absolutely. Like what? Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of music where you can have a fast West Coast swing, but it can also carry over into an East Coast swing. Hmm. A West Coast swing can also carry over into a cha. And it's just, it, uh, again, it comes back to kind of what you hear. I can hear West Coast and I can go, this is an absolute West Coast swing. And yet another DJ goes, no, this is a cha. Hmm. Um, good example, actually would be Cake by the Ocean. Hmm. You can West Coast or you can Cha, and it works equally well as either rhythm. Hmm. Interesting. Are there any that you've song changed from one style into another? If there's a set of steps that works for both, have you tried forcing people to make it more of a Latin feel with a Latin song when it's usually some other style? Yes. The dance that comes to mind was choreographed by Jamie Marshall. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to recall the name of the dance, but when she initially choreographed it, she wrote it as a nightclub two-step. And the music was uh, by the Pussycat Dolls. The music got changed to buttons by the Pussycat Dolls as well, which is more of a West Coast rhythm. Mm -hmm. So you went from a dance that was initially choreographed as a nightclub but it fit perfect. The way she choreographed it it, it, it felt great doing the dance to that rhythm as well. Hmm. Uh, that's the only one that really comes to mind, though. Mm -hmm. Have you had any other successful song changes where people just go with what you chose and not the original? It tends to happen uh, quite a bit. Hmm. Um, again, for me, I don't change songs that often, and I think it's harder to do that now. Really? Um, but Louis St. George is phenomenal at it, hmm. finding, finding different music, breathing life into dances. He found poetry in motion to the Eagles versus the poet. Mm -hmm. He changed Have Fun, Go Mad. There's been four different song choices that he's used for that. Hmm. So he's, he's great at finding new music. But I think it's easier to do with the older dances, the classics. Mm -hmm. Stuff today is choreographed much more to the music. Mm. Uh, phrasing, you have an A, B, you have two tags mm. and a restart. Well, I'm not going to be able to find another song choice for that. Mm. Yeah, and it's hard to tell people just like, don't do the tag, just do it straight through. Well, and then the choreographers, I'm sure, wouldn't appreciate that either, because now mm. I'm telling people, ah, the tag wasn't really worth it. Yeah, that might have been their favorite part. And that, that might have been, yeah, their favorite part of the dance. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's an insult to the choreographer to change the music if it's going to change the choreography. Mm -hmm. Earlier you were mentioning the flow of, of a room. What can you tell me about highs and lows? And how many songs does it typically take you to get through a whole cycle? If you're starting, let's say if you had an example of seven songs from start of, you know, getting people warmed up, like cliche love song or something, and then taking it up, taking it down, and taking it back to baseline. What songs would you play, and what would the logic be behind those? Just a template. Typically, see, that's a tough question, because there really is no good template. Really? Um, 
again, it all depends something, it, it depends on who's in the room. Mm. Some format that I use, um, well, this weekend we were currently at Fun in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Something that I used this weekend that may work for the people in this room, I can go to my next event and it won't work. Hmm. It depends who's there, what dances they know, what you know, what the feel in the room is at that moment. Mm-hmm. So like early on, for me, if I, had to, if I had to extremely generalize it, early in the evening, I'll tend to stay a little bit more on the easier side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keep that for about an hour. And then start building into the more definite, solid, intermediate stuff. Uh, pump up the BPMs a little bit, get, you know, kind of get it going. And then about every... Anywhere between three and six songs, mm-hmm. um, I'll throw in something slower. Mm-hmm. That's why I never get a break. I was just saying, that's why I never get a break. <laughs> <laughs> but that format may not work somewhere where, let's say I go to, I don't know, um, Ohio. Mm. Just random state. And let's just say, in this state, they don't do a lot of the faster, funky dances. They do a lot of nightclubs. They do a lot of waltzes, a lot of slow stuff. Well, now that whole format that I just used here at Fitz of, you know, every three to six songs, play something slow to kind of bring it down, won't work because that's all they want to do is that rhythm. So you just, you really have to watch where you're at and decide what's going to work. And, and so you have to kind of pick out a few dances and, and start getting a feel and then you know you have to keep track in your head okay this dance didn't work and then try something different and say okay this one did work so then you look and you say well if such and such dance worked this one is similar let me try that okay wait that one didn't work why mm. So now I look at the two that I've played that didn't work and I have to find the similarities between them and say, okay, these two didn't work for my room, why? Well, they were both this, they were both this, and it's just, it's, it's, it's really kind of an art form to mm. have to look at stuff like that. Um, now, being one of the dancers, I notice a trend of that first hour um, some of the particular songs because there, there'll be one or two that I really, really know um, and there'll be a ton that I don't but there's always a packed floor. Are there a couple that during that testing that you tend to lean towards? Like, for instance, um, some of the things I've noticed is like uh, The Queen or Gypsy Queen or uh, 50 Ways um, or like Lay Low. Like those are generally ones that I see really early in the, in the beginning couple, like hour. Um, do you have a couple of those that allow you to feel those out? Yes and no. Um, if I were to try to list them off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, a couple of my favorites would be Gypsy Queen. But that one right now is a very popular dance. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's not really a good tell. Um, because I know no matter where I'm at in the country, it's going to get a decent turnout on the floor. Uh, some dances, actually one that I haven't played in a long time in the early night that I used to love was Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Mm. That was a good one. I did enjoy that. And I like the music. Early, the earlier night, like I said, I try to keep stuff that is more well-known across the board. Um, Now for you, you tend to gravitate more towards the harder stuff and, you know, the more, not necessarily funky, but definitely you have a style. And so a lot of what gets played early doesn't fit your style. Mm -hmm. And that's good. I mean, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, But that would be why early evening there's dances that you go and you're like, oh, I don't know this. And then come 8, 30, 9 o'clock, you find yourself on the floor more. Now, you work a lot of different events, and they each have their individual characteristics. Is there a style that you personally get into the flow more 
because uh, you mentioned there are some places where they'll prefer a lot of slower songs and some places they'll be like you know, every other song they'll want to like really crank it up what is the most fun for you and you wouldn't have to necessarily name event names but just a style most fun for me is, is honestly somewhere where I can just I can get into the room where I don't have to worry too much about um, what's going on. I can easily, you know, find the groove, find the vibe. And for me, I don't I don't really care what I'm playing as long as it's working for my room. Mm. And if the people out there are having a good time and they're enjoying it, then I can get into it more. If the people themselves are just kind of, um, for lack of a better word, and, and dancers don't take this the wrong way, boring, mm. then it makes my job more boring. Because I feed off of what, what the dance floor is giving me. I feed off of what the room is giving me. So if, same, same with instructors. You can walk into a class and you can teach a class and they are just giving you, you know, energy back, they're giving you feedback, they're laughing, they're having a good time, you'll notice the instructor is having a good time. And then there's some classes where they're very quiet, they're very mild-mannered, they don't give you that feedback to feed off of. You'll notice the instructor's lesson tends to be much more straightforward to the point they don't play around as much. And it's the same with DJs. Hmm. It, it's based on the people. You know, we feed off of what's going on. And if you're out there having a good time, we feed off of that, and then we're having a good time, which makes you have an even better time. And it just keeps cycling. Hmm. So as far as, yeah, I think that would, be, that would be accurate. Is there anything else that we dancers can do to make your job easier? And also, is there anything that uh, maybe the other folks, the choreographers and instructors or the event managers, is there anything that they or we could be doing that would make your night run more smoothly? Fireball shots. No. <laughs> um, no, serious. It, it's the best thing, in my opinion, is just as a you know, just in life. Be courteous. Have fun. You know, there's there's events where I've worked where somebody will come up, and the moment they walk up to the booth, they have they have an attitude because they've made one request the entire night. They've written one dance down, and I haven't played that one dance. And I have to look at them, and I have to say, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know which one dance you wrote. And right now, we're on sheet six. So, you know, point out which one it is, and I'll, I'll definitely try to get it in there. But you can, get, you can accomplish the same thing with a better result just by coming up and being kind. Hey, you know what? I, I've been sitting a while... There's, there's only one dance I really, really want to do tonight. Oh, really? What is that? Let me, let me see what I can do for you. Versus, I've been sitting all night. I've only written one thing down and you haven't played it. Okay, well, you know, now that makes me aggressive. It's just, it's the way it works. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things. Like, yes, we're there, we're there to work. We're there to do a job. And we're there to please you. We're there to make the dancers happy. But when you come up to us, just just remember, you know, try to be nice because we've been sitting there all night and there's a lot of times where your DJs don't necessarily get a dinner break. We don't get the break that, you know, a lot of choreographers do or a lot of the instructors because we've done show practices and then, you know, instructors will get to leave and go to dinner, but the show practice will run, you know, 30 minutes up to the start of the dance. Well, we don't have time now. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's little things like that that people may not understand or realize. So, you know, if we're in a bad mood, there's usually a reason. But just, you know, approach us, be kind, try to have fun with us, and, and we're going to do the same. That's, yeah. You mentioned... Uh that after an event you sort of decompress that's like the the closing energy of an event what is what is the beginning of an event like for you what do you prepare what do you have backed up uh what do you set up so that everything else goes more smoothly what should other djs think 
think about when they're getting ready so that they can save themselves a lot of trouble? Um, before every event, I always go through the schedule and I make sure I have all of the music put together ahead of time for what everybody's teaching. It, for me, it helps me get a feel for what the event might be like because I can see, okay, these, these are the instructors that are coming. I can start thinking ahead already of, oh, uh, Joey Warren's gonna be at this event. I haven't seen him in a while. What dances do I think I wanna play of Joey's to get people out there you know, and interact with them? And it's, it's just a mental thing of, you know, I don't consciously think I'm doing it, but just sitting there and going through the schedule and putting the music together for what's being taught forces me to start thinking in the back of my head about other things. Uh, really though, that's, that's about what I do. I always, you know, I kind of try to look over different websites, different uh, surveys, Facebook pages, and kind of get a feel of, okay, what's popular uh, in the area that I'm going to. You know, try to find out if there's any new dances that have come out that I'm not aware of yet that might catch me by surprise. Because uh, that's happened a few times where, especially if it's been a, you know, a month or two months in between events, for me, I'll show up and I have a request list full of dances I, I'm not familiar with. So then while I'm working, I have to get online. I always, always have Copper Knob pulled up. That way, if I look at the request list and I go, I've never heard of this, I can quickly go to Copper Knob, look it up and say, okay, that dance was choreographed by so-and-so last month. Awesome. I know their dances tend to be popular in this part of the country, so I'm going to take a chance and play it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when you take a chance like that, you always have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Assume that you're going to clear the floor and kill the room. So I always try to butt up on either side something popular before it, something popular after it. That way I know I can get everybody back up and I don't lose them for long. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, the, as far as prep, that's mostly what I do is, is go through the, uh, the workshop schedule, get the music together, get a feel for the instructors, get a feel for what's popular in the area I'm going to. Mm -hmm. Do you have any horror stories when everything just went terribly wrong? And how did you fix that the next time uh, you were in a similar situation? As far as actually DJing, mm -hmm. there hasn't been, I can't recall an occasion where I went there and just went, crap, what happened? <laughs> Those moments actually tend to be equipment related mm -hmm. versus actually DJing. Mm -hmm. An amp will go out, a speaker will blow. And as far as that, it's, it's a matter of just trying to fix it in the best way possible to get through the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually the words yelled out loud are a lot worse than crap. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the worst thing that can happen. Showed up, you know, one example, I showed up to uh, Jamie and Barney's Fort Wayne Dance for All. Set up my system. Went to go run sound check. And it's, setup is always tight at most events. Because they're at a hotel, they're at a convention center. The venue wants to try to make as much money as they can. It's a business. So they'll book stuff in the night before. So we, you know, a lot of times we have to wait till they're packed out to be able to pack in and set up. So it's always running tight. There's not much room for issues if something does go wrong. So I was getting set up. We were about two hours, hour and a half before we had our first show practice and then it was straight into open dance. Just finished setting up the main system, kicked on the amps, and one of my amps blew as soon as I hit the power switch on it. Yikes. So I'm trying to rewire everything to get by with only the one remaining amp in that system. Meanwhile, I called uh, Guitar Center, bought a new amp, had a buddy of mine run over and go pick it up, and that way it was ready to be installed once I shut down the, the dance that evening. Mm -hmm. um, that was my biggest oh crap moment. Uh, I know for Louie, his was DJing at an event where um, one of his subwoofers blew. And because of the design of that subwoofer, it's a folded horn, there's the way you have to take it apart to replace the woofer is 
horrible. And he sat, he was sitting up all night trying to replace that so that the next day everything would be functioning when everybody came in to teach and dance and have a good time. So for me, any of, any of those types of moments are going to end up being equipment related, not so much on the DJ side. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can recover fairly easily because you, you, you can put on a song, realize, okay, that didn't work. You can put on another song, realize, okay, that didn't work. Then you can, you know, if you have one or two of those in a row, you can always go to an old standby that you know works no matter what while you recompose yourself and come up with a new plan. In addition to Gypsy Queen, what would some of those other silver bullets be? Those, like, in case of emergency, break glass? Um, it really just kind of depends what's popular at the moment. I know I can still count on Ain't Misbehaving. I can count on um, Cliché Love Song Still Works, uh, Cake by the Ocean, um, current stuff, shady, um, clap snap, uh, hand clap works. It, it's just you have you have a list in your head that you're always kind of thinking, okay. And in fact, I always kind of have a few songs pulled up in my side list on my DJ software that I know I can pull this out at any moment if I need to. It's already there, sitting for me, waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lay Low still works great. I mean, there's so many that, that are just extremely popular dances. What have been some of the highlights, those like unforgettable moments in your DJ experience, whether it was like maybe the first time meeting Joe or Rachel or any really good gigs? I hear whip it in the background and it's so hard to stay sitting. <laughs> anyway, um, what, what have been some of the, uh, the moments that you just you hope you'll carry with you forever? Well, of course, meeting any of the choreographers that I've heard about and get to meet for the first time is an amazing experience. Most of them I've known now for years. Um, you know, I met Rachel and, uh, wow, how old was I? Probably would have been in 17 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, so back then it was, you know, it was such a thrilling experience. Now it's like, hey, Rach, how's it going? Cool. You know, it, but yeah, getting to meet people like that for the first time is, is exhilarating. And I love, I actually love watching people that are new into the dance world get to meet people for the first time. Because I, I sit there and I go, wow, I, I remember that feeling. That was awesome. Um, actually, a funny story on that. Mm-hmm. Again, tangent, but... Oh, go right ahead. <laughs> I remember I was a kid, and I met John Robinson for the first time. At, uh, it was Golden Gate Classic in San Francisco. He was selling merchandise like he does now, but back then, being the 90s, the big thing, just like with the concert tours, you know, with, with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, you know, you could buy a shirt with John's face on it, like his picture. Nice. And he would sit there, and, and if he bought a shirt, he would offer to offer, autograph it for you. So, you know, at the time, I'm a kid, and I'm like, oh, my God, John Robinson, I love watching you dance. I love your choreography. I just learned this from you today. Yes, please, autograph my shirt. So, you know, and, and since then, I've gotten to know John extremely well. Where I, I consider him a good friend. And I was cleaning out my closet, and I happened to come across a box that had that shirt in it. And I took a picture of it and I texted it to him and I said, look what I found. And we had a little bit of a conversation about it. He's like, are you, are you, are you still wearing it? And I said, no, actually I found out it makes a really good rag to wash my car with. <laughs> and he, you know, he wrote me back some um, explicit <laughs> language. But you know, that's, that's the nice thing is in this community, we all get to know each other so well that, you know, like I said, I consider him a good friend. And I know for a fact, most of these people, most of the choreographers, even even if they don't get to know you super personally, they're still always going to like have a place for you in their life. Like it's just it's that type of a family, mm-hmm. and that's what I love. Who are some of your favorite instructors to have in the room when you're behind the booth, and why? What is it about them? Um, Rachel is amazing. First and foremost, she's a phenomenal dancer to watch. She can be on the floor start to finish all night and um, 
she doesn't complain. She works. She does her job. She has she has an aura. She's great with people. She's great with kids. And, and just you can have her on the floor, and people just enjoy watching her. Um, I love having. Well, uh, I'm trying to think where to even like start. There's so many <laughs> alphabetically. I know, right? Um, you know, Scott is another great one to have in the room. Um, I love. I love Scott's the way he jokes and plays around. Mm. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it's with everybody or just me, but like it's just he's he has he has a very unique sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, John Robinson is just a blast. It, you put him on the floor, he plays, he has a good time. He I honestly don't know where he gets his energy because I sit there and I'm tired after watching him dance. Mm. It's just there's so many. Um, Amy Glass is one of my favorite up-and-comers. She's just a sweetheart of a person. Her choreography is, is top-notch. It's, it's coming along. And, you know, I can't wait to see where she goes. And she's, it's great to have her in the room. She walks around. She's social with everybody. Um, yeah. I, wow. Like I said, that's a really hard question. I hate you. No. <laughs> is there anyone from overseas that you wish we would have at more events here? Um, I like Fred, uh, Fred Bailey. <laughs> I like Fred Whitehouse. I like Darren Bailey. Um, Shane McKeever, Gary O'Reilly. I honestly, I wish they were all over here more. They bring something that's different that we don't necessarily see here. Um, their dances are great. And, and like I said, they just add to... They add to they add an aura to the event that you don't get. You know, they it's different. You know, that does that mean if they were here all the time, it wouldn't you know, it would just become the normal? Probably. But yeah, right now I'd love to see more of them. Are there any combinations you haven't seen that you you would like to? Uh, collaborations on a dance that uh, haven't existed yet? Wow. And it could be from any point in history also. If, if, if you have any ideas of like you know, Tom Mickers and Amy Glass or something like that. If, if you had any dream combinations, what might those be? Actually, I'm not sure if this has ever happened, but I would, I would actually love to see Simon Ward and Pedro Machado. Hmm. Because they both have such a huge amount of energy in their choreography and their dancing. And I think it, it could either be amazing or look at it and go okay <laughs> no I think both of them are great choreographers I think, I think something of theirs would combined would be, would be energetic for sure hmm. and I think it would be fun to watch definitely entertaining are there any dances uh, that still get you out from behind the, the desk uh, that you, you just can't say no to even if you're working typically no um if I'm DJing, unless it's late night, I won't get out of the booth and go dance. Um, I feel my job, you know, I'm being paid to DJ. And part of that is sitting there watching the room, figuring out the room, coming up, being there when people are wanting to make a request. And if I'm dancing, I can't do that. Right. Um, that's why it's great. Like me and Louie will share duties. And so then when Louie's DJing, I, get, I do get a chance to go out and dance. And... For me, it's all the older stuff. Have Fun, Go Mad, Dizzy, Jukebox, a lot of the classic stuff. Um, just, just because I actually still remember it. Mm. Uh, I haven't learned anything new lately. So, What can you say about your choreography? Mm. <laughs> ho, ho! Um... What can I say about my choreography? Mm-hmm. There's one of your dances that we still were doing in Sonoma County when we had a country bar for oh, wow. years. Yeah, they song switched it to Uptown Funk. Yeah. Which, uh, which Crush. Dance? Crush, mm-hmm. yes. I like that one. And it would work to Uptown Funk, same rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really did enjoy doing choreography. I, I feel I had some very good dances at times. Uh, others were total crap. You know, but that, uh, that's true of any choreographer. You always, you always have dances that you walk away from and you go, what was I thinking? Hmm. Um, it's, uh, I, I miss it, uh, but I love what I'm doing much more now. 
I think there's times where I, there's on occasion where a song comes across and I'm like, I really love this, and I'll start playing around with some steps and you know just just for the hell of it, and then inevitably somebody else releases something, so I don't do it, but you know I dabbling in that aspect um, I will say though it was it was an amazing feeling. My biggest hit dance was deja vu mm-hmm. and it it was awesome to have it published in so many different dance magazines. Um, taken on tour by John Robinson, Max Perry, Michael Barr, and just it was taught all over the world. And there's times I still get requests for it. Like we've danced it here this weekend at Fun in the Sun, mm-hmm. late night on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Because a couple of the girls from Canada that I know, they came up, they said, we practiced it before we got here because we really want to dance it with you. So we did Deja Vu. And it is. It's just it's one of those amazing feelings to know that your dance, 17 years later, people are still asking for it. What do you think you did right in that one? Honestly, I have no idea. Because for me, it it was one of my least favorite dances. Hmm. But it took off. And I don't know why. Um, In fact, I was at work and... That evening, I was teaching at uh, Local Social, and I had promised I would have something new. And I still didn't have anything new. So I'm at work that day, and I choreographed the bulk of Deja Vu. I wrote the last eight counts in the car on the way down to the social, walked in having never even danced the last eight, and taught it. Um, Wow. So it was... Definitely interested, and so for me, I think I think it might be because I know I don't feel that I put in as much work into that choreography as I could have, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why it's not one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But it, obviously, it's a lot of other people's favorite, or was. Mm-hmm. Looking forward, there are tools now like NextLineDance.com and DJ Feed. What tools? do you think uh, would make your or the dance world's lives um, easier, like being able to see further in advance, which, of course, you know, I guess a lot of people, they don't understand the aspect of reading the room, so it's not just a matter of upvotes for per dance. Exactly. Um, is there anything that you would like to see invented that doesn't exist yet for anything uh, regarding dance? Oh, nothing that I can think of, to be honest. Hmm. Um, technology is a great thing but in some ways I think it also can be a hindrance Hmm. Um, for example let's look at uh, you know some of the electronic forms we never used to have a screen Hmm. 10 years ago 15 years ago we never had a screen that listed upcoming dances we did it the old fashioned way hey we're going to do cliche love song next after that we've got Shady followed by Poetry in motion. Mm -hmm. And it kept people engaged. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know what the next three dances are. I have time to go pee. And then they don't come back to the ballroom. If you, I feel, if you list too far in advance what's coming up, you'll look at the list and you'll go, okay, I don't know anything, so I'm going to go, you know, do this or do that. And then you start losing people, you, and you lose that question of what's coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, people aren't. It, it's like a suspense movie. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to happen next? Where if you, you know, whatever big suspense movie's out right now, but if you know the plot and you know, okay, at an hour and a half into the movie, this happens. Well, you're going to sit there and you're not going to enjoy the movie as much. And I think it's the same with dance in the ballroom. I think having the screen where we have it and projecting out three to four songs, maybe five at most, is the best thing to do. After midnight especially, it's really exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. They can bust out an oldie, like syncopated rhythm or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's things like that. Like you said, bust out syncopated rhythm. Well, I know John Robinson loves that dance. Oh, yeah. So if he's... If I play something and he happens to walk in the room and he's dancing that, and I see him on the floor, I don't care what I have listed on the board. I'm going to go, syncopated rhythm, next. Mm-hmm. 
because that's the type of flexibility in the room that we as DJs want, that we're looking for, because it does allow us to make on-the-fly changes to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, when people get disappointed by something, it's only because they expected something. So if you give them no expectations, they can never get disappointed. Exactly. Are there any songs that you've just kind of been holding on to and listening to and thinking, I love this song, but I can't think of anybody it fits for. I really wish there were a dance for it. And if you'd like to tell people what it is, maybe somebody at home listening, one of our many thousands of dancers and, and uh, choreographers can come up with some. Thousands and thousands there thousands. are. There are... <laughs> Good thing you don't have a mic. <laughs> Megan just uh, divulged some of our numbers. There you go. Go ahead. Megan, <laughs> Megan is now fired. Yeah. Wait, I was hired? <laughs> the part of Megan will be played by this lamp. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, everything at this point that I kind of was holding on to that I, I'm like, I really want to see a dance to has been released. Like there's uh, Slow Hands was one of my songs that I, I heard. And I actually had sent that to somebody. Hmm. And then before they could get on it, um, uh, Slow Hands was released. And then, yeah, that was, that was actually one that I was really enjoying. There's, there's been a few, but yeah, everything that I've ever kind of put in my pocket and was holding has been taken, unfortunately. Hmm. Sorry, dancers. <laughs> now, when people, let's say, if somebody releases something in Europe, and somebody in the United States wants to release something. How do you determine when it's okay to like give it a shot and just you know say, ah, oh, well, you know, I have a dance. It's kind of different, so you know, maybe they can just do both or learn both of them. When do you know that it's there's no shot? You got nothing to to put up against what is out. Well, and, I me personally, I feel if you have if you look and you have a dance that's already released. I, I don't feel you should choreograph and release to it. Hmm. If, let's take for example, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Sunshine in My Pocket, and mm -hmm. so just dance, dance, dance. Definitely. Amy Glass and... Um, Jose and... Gomez. Yeah, Jose, I'm yeah. trying to remember the rest of... Was Guillaume the other one? Possibly. Hmm. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Um... They both released at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, it just happens. Mm -hmm. They both found the music, they both choreographed, and it was, it was literally like within a day, they both had released it. So that's something that you're going to make a split floor. You're not going to pick one over the other. If, you know, now let's change it around a little bit. Let's say one was released, you know, two weeks before the other, mm. three weeks, five weeks, whatever. Me, I wouldn't turn around and release it. Mm. I would just let it go and see if the dance takes off. Let it have its chance. And if it does, okay, fine. There's more music. Mm -hmm. I'll find another track. You know, now, a few years later, if, the dan if there's a dance that's no longer popular or not even not that's not popular anymore it just never took off mm -hmm. then I feel it's okay to come back and say you know what let's release this now I have songs on my wish list where on Copper Dump there is technically one dance to it no demo video no tutorial video and I've never heard of the choreographer before I'm probably going to end up doing something to that <laughs> and that's that's something I mean it's you know it's a judgment call it's you know like you said there's there's one dance you haven't seen the video you haven't seen a tutorial and and you don't know who they are and I know you know I, I I'm comfortable in the fact that because you do talk to a lot of choreographers and you do your homework on line dance that you know if it, if it was somebody that you were going to know you would know who it is oh yeah um, you know I and that's that's just a judgment call uh, that that's up to everybody as far as you know how far they're willing you know what they how they feel about it um, I know some people that would say oh yeah absolutely that's fine and I know other people would say no you still shouldn't do it mm. and I think it's just you know it's a judgment call mm. um, me personally I probably would in that case as well mm -hmm. when is it okay to say they could have done more with this song 
maybe I should be the one to do more with it? Again, I think after the dance has lived its chance. lived its life, had its chance, then you can follow through and come back and, and release something to it. But, you know, it's, it's a respect thing because we right. all work together, you mm -hmm. know, frequently. We all see each other on a regular basis. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a matter of professional respect. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about difficulty level floor splits? Like some people would say not every dance needs a beginner version. Like work from home can just be work from home and not have anything else. Um, but what do you think? Do you think things should be made more accessible for beginners in that way? Or just leave some things perfect the way they are and have that be the dance? I think I would leave things the way they are and just have it be that dance. Um, floor splits for intermediate and beginner or advanced and beginner are a great thing. Hmm but they don't always work. Um, sometimes, sometimes you don't have the space. Um, for example, here at a major event, it's very hard to split, let's say, Shady with something else because it's going to fill that floor. Mm -hmm. So even though, let's say, somebody wrote Shady Light, mm. I have nowhere to put it. Right. Um, you know, and I'm not a big fan of having multiple ballrooms and having beginners segregated from intermediates, but sometimes that's the only chance. Um, trying to do a floor split with, trying to do a floor split in a local monthly social or class is, is great. And I think it actually helps the beginners too, because what can happen then, the instructor or the DJ for that local class knows their people, knows what dances they know, and they can say, okay, intermediates, we have Shady. We're going to split that with whatever dance is a beginner dance that they like. Now, if these people do happen to come to an event, they know they can do that. They, they start learning how to listen to the music and say, hey, we learned this dance and it'll work. Why don't we go do it? And it still keeps them involved. But trying to split at, at a major event, beginner and intermediate, there's beginner dances tend to be very localized to wherever you're from. This part of the this part of the state will do these beginner dances. This part of the state does these. And there's no it, it, it's really hard to tell what they know. So as a DJ sitting up in the booth, it's hard to run a floor split that way. I've seen massive floor splits for Wagon Wheel and Uptown Funk because there are a lot of light versions of both of Absolutely. those. How would people get in contact with you if they wanted to ask you questions about your years of DJing and, and choreography? Um, I have a website. Mm -hmm. uh, the website is www.jp-potter.com mm -hmm. or you can go to, uh, you can email me directly at jpotter81 at me.com hmm. and if there was anything that you wanted to say to the teeming throngs of line dancers from sea to shining sea what would you want to say to all of them as well as the other folks the, the fellow DJs the choreographers instructors event managers bar owners all of them just have fun remember why you got involved you know never forget that because once, once you don't enjoy it anymore, what's the point? Have a good time and live life. Mm -hmm. Thoughts from Megan? Um, just because I have a little bit of insider information, I also know that you have an event that you run. I, unfortunately, had already committed to a different event during the same time, so I didn't get to attend this year. But uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, yes, I own Spring Flame Line Fest, which is uh, currently held in San Diego, and it's Easter weekend. Um, regardless of the year or the dates, it's Easter weekend. So look on the calendar and figure out when Easter is, and that's, that's when I have Spring Flame. Um, I also am co-director of Freedom in Line, which is held in Indianapolis, along with Melissa Colbertson and Luann Pemberton, and that's uh, always 4th of July time frame. Uh, so yes, check both of those out as well. Uh, you can go springflamelinefest.com or freedom-in-line. Freedom-in-line.com. 
freedominline.com, Freedom in Line. Uh, and those are two events that, that I own as well, yes. What, uh, what distinguishes those events as far as um, unique characteristics of them people would want to go check out that maybe they couldn't find at other events? Uh, for Spring Fling, it's, it's definitely San Diego. Hmm. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the most gorgeous cities in the U.S. Hmm. Uh, there's so much to see and do, so why not make a vacation of it? Get to experience San Diego and get some dancing involved. Um, my both events are. No, I'll take that back. Freedom and uh, Spring Flame Line Fest is all one room, so all the workshops are held in one room. You don't have to pick between multiple ballrooms. And I keep it small. I cut it off at about 100, 110 people. Oh, wow, that is small. That way, I, I want my instructors to be able to interact and mingle with everybody. And, you know, Saturday night when we open up for our show, which is always short and sweet, no more than 15 minutes, um, the instructors are there greeting everybody as they walk in the door. Mm. The uh, Freedom in Line is great. You have the opportunity to also learn couples if you're interested it's it's held in conjunction with indie dance explosion uh, which is ran by melissa colbertson and luann pemberton and so you can get a combo pass that includes both events and be able to go learn two-step cha-cha west coast swing be able to watch some phenomenal competition um, and, and i think that's a great thing i think i think line dancers really do need to focus on technique not not just because it looks good, but because it saves your body in the end. You know, it, learning how to dance proper will allow you to dance until you're old, without the injuries, without aches and pains. So I think you know, being able to learn technique from any of our any of our line choreographers and pros, uh, which most of them do offer private lessons. So you can always that that's in my opinion one of the best ways. Because you get one-on-one -on -one time with them to learn what you need to learn. Um, and then also carrying it over into couples and learning, learning some basic couples. You don't have to be a you know, huge social dancing couples person. Just learn some of the basics. That way it gives you a better understanding of dance overall. Hmm. All right. Sounds like a good, uh, good pack there. All right. Well, are there any other thoughts uh that you have, JP, before I ask you my final question. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I'm interested to see what this question is. What dance would you recommend everyone go learn right now? Deja vu. <laughs> Your deja vu. My deja vu, okay. yes. <laughs> that way we can have a full floor at the next event. I like it. Let's bring it back. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, thank you very much for, thank you. for joining us here today. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. We'll see you at the next event. Yes, yes.